Well, welcome, welcome again to the third in the series of podcasts on faith. Again, thanks to Gene Folks for letting me take over his microphone and uh, talk to you about some things, um, maybe in a, a little different way uh, about faith. Um, again, I'm, I'm coming from a Christian point of view, and uh, this is who I am. But I recognize that everybody has some faith. In fact, I'm reminded of a story that uh, just was told years and years ago. I don't even remember where I first heard the story. Not, I'm sure it's just one of those made-up stories. But it had an impact on my life, and maybe it will on yours, too. The story was about this young man who was wanting to find the meaning and purpose of life, you know, that we all go through those seasons in life where we say, well, why am I here? What is my purpose? And, and what is this all about? Those are really faith questions. And this young man was searching and searching. He would ask people about that. And he finally, uh, he, he found this old man that uh, he, he thought, well, this man, everybody says this man can give you the, he can give you the real answers to this. And so uh, he asked him to meet him down by the, by the seashore. They were walking down the beach together. And he was, you know, just kind of, bearing his soul to this old man and saying to the man, you know, I really am searching. I want to know what the meaning and purpose of life is. All of a sudden, this old man grabbed him, drug him down to the water, pulled him out into the deep, pushed his head under the water, and held it there for a very long time. Finally, he pulled him up. And as the guy was, the kid was just spitting and sputtering and trying to get his breath and he drug, drug him back up on the beach and the, the kid when he finally got his voice he says why did you do that what are you trying to do you, you're trying to kill me he says i want to ask you a question the question is what when you were under that water what did you want more than anything else in life he said are you crazy i wanted to breathe i wanted a breath the old man said to him when you want to find the meaning and purpose of life as much as you wanted that breath, you will find it. I always remember that story because sometimes I believe that we are just so casual about finding faith, finding what we believe, finding meaning and purpose in life. That's why we don't really find it. It's because we're not serious about it. It's not really a quest. It's not like the quest for the Holy Grail. It is, it's just more of a, a curiosity. We have to move somewhere beyond just the curiosity about what is the meaning and purpose of things if we're going to find a faith that is going to really be a quality faith like we talked about in the last podcast. I believe I've found that faith. I believe that what I believe in gives me meaning and purpose. It's something I'll be willing to give my life for. It's something I've dedicated my life to it makes all the difference in the world, and it's the one single solitary thing that if I didn't have it in my life, I would not even know how to get up in the morning. I wouldn't even know how to live because I am so dependent on what I believe. And so we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about the object of faith, and every one of us has an object of faith. We're taught, we've talked about the basis of our faith. We may not have thought through why we believe what we believe. However, we all have reasons, even if those reasons are not always clear even to us, of why we believe what we believe. We talked about the quality of faith. 
that the quality of faith uh, it doesn't mean that all faiths are the same. It's just that we have to test the faith. There's a scripture that says, test all things and then hold on to what is good. Your faith needs to be tested, and it will be tested in the test tube of life. Life is going to test what you believe, uh, but you need to kind of do a, a, an intellectual test of your faith by asking questions and seeing what the quality of your faith really is. And then there is the aspect today, the two things we're going to talk about today is the awareness of faith and the context of our faith. I believe one of the most disturbing aspects of faith is simply not to be aware of our faith choices. Some simply have not stopped to think about what they believe. We all have a faith, but it doesn't mean that we've all analyzed it or that we've all looked at it. Though they are constantly, people are constantly spouting their beliefs through words and deeds, often they have never thought to look at their beliefs in a serious, systematic way. And you may be in that camp. You know, I've had an opportunity in my life to analyze my faith to a, a very great degree. I've have looked at it in the weeds, if you will. And I have found what are the most essential parts of that faith, the things that I would never negotiate, and then the things that are more, you know, maybe more of a matter of, of opinion about my faith. And I've, I've, I've sifted those things out and I've been able to find, you know, what is really important. It's kind of like, like we were up in the mountains here uh, a couple of weeks ago, up in the mountains with my family. And we decided to take all the grandkids uh, to one of these places where you buy a bucket of sand. And in that bucket of sand, uh, they, they have put gemstones in the sand. And they all had... They had this little place, you know, uh, where water was running through it, and they had the sieves, and they put the dirt in the sieves, and they would do it through the water, and they would find these gemstones. And it was so amazing to watch our grandkids uh, finding these stones. But it was because they had they had a um, uh, this bucket of sand, and you when you looked at it, uh, it just looked like a bucket of sand. But until they begin to sift through that sand, that's when they begin to find the good stuff. And they got their bag full of, of gemstones that they could take home with them. They didn't take the sand home with them. But that illustration is, is what it's often like in our lives where we are searching for faith, searching for something to, to believe in, something to sink our teeth into cause this bigger than ourselves, uh, a, a person to believe in this bigger than ourselves, more powerful than we are. And yet we, we live in the sand of life and we never take that sand and put it down into the water and, and sift it through the water in order for the gemstones of our faith to become evident so we can pull them out, look at them, analyze them, get that little chart that says this is this is this and this is that and 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 figure out what what faith is really like so how can so many people go through life in such ignorance of their own belief you know ignorance really comes from the word to ignore something um, 
And it doesn't mean that we're unintelligent. It doesn't mean that we're not smart. It just means that we're not all, we're not always about uh, looking deeply at the choices that we've made. It's just that some people have never thought about their faith. They ignore the subject. You know, sometimes getting getting kind of uh, nailed down to what we believe, sometimes we don't like to do that because we, we know that that's going to limit our options in life. That's going to limit what we can do in life if I get nailed down in my faith. So being in tune with our thought world takes some work. Knowing your own heart and mind requires some analysis. Self-awareness is a gift that separates us from the animal world. Man has the ability to know himself. <clears throat> Paul said, "Whoever knows the thoughts of a man other than the uh, who knows the thoughts of a man other than the man himself." And that's why in pastoral counseling, when I would do that, I would ask people, "Tell me who you are. Tell me what you're thinking, because I don't know. You're the only one who knows your own thoughts, and what you choose to reveal to me will help me." than to be able to help you. Man ha also has the ability to reveal himself to other people, but we cannot reveal our faith or ourself to others if we don't really understand our faith or our others. You know, there's the old thing about Plato and the cave. Plato would go into the cave and he would see the shadows on the wall in the cave. And he knew that the shadows were not real. They were just the shadows of something that was real outside the cave. And he made the, he made the, the uh, point that life is often lived in the cave, that we're living there watching the shadows dancing across the wall, but we never go out of the cave to see what is casting the shadow on the wall. And sometimes people do that with their own faith, is, is that they see the shadows of their faith, they see the way they live, they, see the word, they hear the words that come out of their mouths, but they never stop to look and to see what is the substance of that faith that is being cast upon the shadow, on the wall of their life as a shadow. And so um, Plato built his, his whole idea of philosophy over seeking what is the substance of things. What is the substance of justice, the substance of love? the substance of goodness, and so on, instead of the shadowy and transient illusions or imperfect copies of these things, finding out what is real, that's what I want to live in, is the real and authentic world of faith. And so that requires us going outside the cave and searching in a way to find the substance of life. Some never come to, to this realization of their own. No one ever brought it up. They have never been asked to reveal it. It is like personality. We all have a personality. Again, in my counseling days, I would give a, a personality test, the Taylor Johnson temperament analysis test. And in this test, it, it measures nine different personality traits. Well, every one who takes the test, there's 180 questions on the test, and everybody who takes the test are, are going to answer every one of the questions, and it's going to reveal something about their personality. And then when I get the answers back, I translate those raw answers into, into a way of 
of analyzing them and showing them what their personality uh, traits are like. And it's interesting to watch people when I show them what they've really said. They've revealed themselves to me, but I have organized now their personality traits in a way of giving it back to them so they, they can see a picture of their personality. And you, it's amazing. They will, it's like the light bulbs going off in their head. They were like, I always kind of knew I was like that, but I never knew what to call it. I never knew what to say about it. And, and I gave them terminology. I gave them words to talk about their personality. And when you're doing that in premarital counseling or marriage counseling, and you, and you see the personality traits of the two people involved, they now begin to understand their, their partner better because now they have words to use to describe the personality of their partner. And they got those words from the partner themselves because it was a self-revelation. That process, we need to have that kind of process with our faith. And that's why it comes back to often analyzing our faith by asking questions so that we can bring what is in our hearts up to the surface. We can write them down in propositional form so that then we can analyze our faith. This is where awareness of faith comes from. Most of us are reactionary to new ideas. So if someone presents us with a new idea, most of us are fairly reactionary to those things. We shoot and we ask questions later. Our approach to life does not lend itself to self-reflection. We're forgetting how to listen and to seek understanding. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood is always a good maxim for life, particularly in relationships. If you want another person to understand you, then you're going to have to understand them. Give them the time to reveal themselves. Let things come to the surface. Let there become an awareness of the truth. I have, I've used this approach in Fighting for Your Marriage, uh, a book written by Markman Stanley and Bloomberg in my pastoral counseling. It's called The Speaker-Listener Technique. And it's simply, it allows one person to be the speaker, and while that person is speaking, the, the other person is the listener. And they're not thinking about what they're going to say in response. They're really taking in and listening what their partner is saying. And then they're reflecting back to them what is being said. We could all use somebody like that in our lives, somebody who is going to reflect back to us what our faith claims are, what we are saying. So we're allowing somebody else to put into their own words what they're hearing us say or what they're seeing us do that tells us something about the perception everybody has of their faith. Faith events are things like doing good, praying, going to church, reading a religious book, practicing some religious ritual or meditating. All of these are kind of faith events. The issues of religion may express themselves in moral questions or questions of why. Why did God let so-and-so happen? Or about hypocrisy or inconsistencies or doctrinal questions. We spend much time sorting such things out in our faith. But then there is the deeper hidden issues of the faith that must be fully understood if we are going to have a full awareness of what we truly believe. How do I view God or not? Why am I here? Where did I come from? How do experiences in my life color my faith for good or bad? And so many more matters. 
we often take these for granted, but these are the questions that bring faith to our awareness. When we have a faith that conflicts with others, we often merely react with some well-worn phrase or go-to argument, which can turn personal. These are usually not very enlightening exchanges. Nothing taught and nothing learned. And so we need to learn the art of knowing ourselves, being able to express ourselves, and being able to listen to other people, and being able to reflect back to that person what that person is saying. All of this increases awareness and helps us to put into the light what we believe. Then we can test it. Then we can test the quality of it. But so many people can't do a test on their faith because it's the, the gemstone is still in the sand and they haven't brought it to light so they can look at it and see the beauty or perhaps the flaws in what that faith might be. So how can we become more aware of our faith? Well, I'm being a little repetitious here, but first of all, ask questions of your faith. Why do I believe what I believe? Where did that come from? How deeply do I believe it? Is this particular belief a core of my faith or merely a peripheral matter in my faith? What would happen if I gave up this belief? What would happen if I started believing something else? Does one part of my faith contradict another part of my faith? All of these are questions that we can ask of our faith. The second thing we can do is find a trusted friend to dialogue with about faith. Someone who is safe, with whom you can explore what you believe. Someone who can ask questions to help you clarify things in your own mind. Thirdly, seek out faith leaders to understand options to your faith, just to understand more. You may want to explore what are the possibilities of faith. Well, seek out people and listen to them and see if they can make a case for what they believe. Number four, read and compare the major books of faith, like the Quran, the Bhagavad, I can, can say that, Bhagavad uh, Gita, the Hindu book, or other books, the Bible. Take a comparative religion course. Think about the implications of the various major philosophies of life. This exploration and seeking of truth can open up many doors to becoming aware of what your own faith is, because some of these you will embrace and some you will reject, but it will help you clarify your own faith. Then, if you already have a belief in God and you pray and you ask him to lead you to a better understanding of his will and way, you can also gain understanding through that. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Ask and it will be given to you. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. And so all of these are means by which you can become more aware of the faith that you have. Because like I said in the very beginning, we all have a faith. We're just not all aware of that faith. So when we are unaware of faith, here's what happens. We lack conviction. You know, if you don't have conviction in life, it's because you're probably not very much aware of the faith that you have. People who are very aware of their own faith are usually people of conviction. Conviction comes from our sureness of what we believe. This can work two ways. If our faith is faulty, then our convictions will be faulty. Just because you take a strong stand on an issue does not mean you are taking the right stand. Just like faith, all convictions are not equal. And so there are people who have deep convictions about something, but they use that conviction to make them terrorists. And, but, it, but they certainly have a deep 
conviction about what they believe. If you don't have any conviction at all, or you have very little conviction, it's usually because faith is not very clear to you. It's not very clear what you believe. But you will have no conviction unless you know your belief. There is a country song by Aaron Tippin which says, you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Without an awareness of your faith, you might latch on to whatever comes along. Many go through life with faith fads, I call them. They change faiths like they do the fashions or the next big thing that comes along or the next celeb that comes around. The Apostle Paul calls it being blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. We become easily exploited and taken advantage of by someone who wants to benefit from our ignorance. If you're, you're, you are in a vulnerable position if you don't know what you believe, if you don't have a firm faith, then you will probably believe most anything. The person who is unaware of their beliefs is like a boat without a sail or a rudder. They're merely floating through life, hoping that by some chance that they will, that what they believe will get them to a good destination. Of course, if your belief is blind chance, then this is what you are left with. You are Forrest Gump's feather floating in the breeze. You are a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. That, for many people, is what faith is like. Faith is simply always searching, never coming to a knowledge of the truth. And so I would strongly, you know, if, if you want to make one step in the right direction, determine what is your faith. Get a blank pad of paper and sit down and start writing all the things you believe and see what it looks like on paper. Now, I want to end our, our uh, podcast with one other thing, and that is the context of faith, <clears throat> because I think it's we got to come down a little bit from 30,000 feet. We've got to get a little bit closer, you know, into where we live every day. So how can I leave you with no context for faith? I fear that some will listen to my thoughts on faith and wonder where to start. Some will fail because they do not know how to approach such a deep and comprehensive subject as faith. And I don't want that to happen. And so I'm going to give you some guiding thoughts on this. And I first want to recommend a great resource to help prime the pump on identifying your system of belief. There's a man, his name is Dale Tackett, and he did a series of messages called The Truth Project. You Google it, The Truth Project by Dale Tackett, T-A-C-K-E-T-T, you'll find a, a wonderful, wonderful resource. He's a Christian apologist, but he helps you to explore the different facets of our society and, and, and our world so as to clarify what you believe in these different areas of life. So I want to give you some uh, context here for making some choices and decisions. The first one is, is it a closed or an open system? Is our universe a closed or an open system? Think of the universe as like either a closed box or a box that is open with a lid, has the lid open on it. The closed box represents a universe that is self-contained. There's nothing outside the box. It is all in the box. All reality is inside the box. All explanations must, must come from inside the box. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Are all questions whose answers come from inside the box. There is no room 
for the supernatural inside the box. It's a closed system. Everything is subject to some scientific inquiry. Man has no outside-the-box existence or component. Or you have a box whose lid is open, allowing for something that transcends space and time to have access to this world, this existence, this universe, this experience. And so the open-lidded lid box is a box that allows for things like creation, because that's outside the box. It allows for things like miracles. It allows for things like catastrophic events like the flood caused by God. It allows for someone like Jesus Christ to come to this earth because the lid is open and he can come into this world and he can become a man and he can leave the world because the lid is open. You see, fundamentally, those are your choices. You either think of the world as a closed box or you think of it as an open box. And so that gives you context. And be very careful which one you choose, because if you choose the closed box, then you cannot entertain anything to do with there being a God, or that the Bible is God's word, or that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. None of that. There is no spiritual dimension. It all has to be defined in terms of the five senses of what we can, can work out in some scientific method, uh, and that's all you've got to work with. But that is a context in which you can do this work of trying to determine your faith. The second is, what kind of God is it that you believe in? If you believe in a God, you need to ask the question, what kind of God is there? Now, there are many ideas about God. Let me give you two as a place to start. And again, there's many, but I have to limit what I could talk about here. Are, are God and the universe the same thing? That would be a question to ask. Some people believe that God and the universe is the same thing. We talk about that, Mother Earth and, and Gaia and, and these kinds of terms. Or is God separate from the universe? It's going to be one or the other. It can't be both. Either God is the universe, it's one and the same, or God is a separate entity or being from the universe. The pantheists believe that the world and God are the same, are one and the same. Hindus, for instance, are pantheists. If this view is true, then the universe itself is eternal. It has always existed because something cannot come from nothing. This is really a form of a closed system. On the other hand, the biblical view of God is one who is separate and apart from the universe, the creator of the universe, pre-existent and eternal. And so one or, or the other of these views is going to dominate your thinking. So either the universe is, is God, and so your God is just one in same one in the same with the universe, or your God is separate from the universe. The third idea I would give you about, about a context is the idea of design or chance. Another contextual consideration about our worldview or faith is whether the existence of the universe in general or specific aspects of the universe is a matter of divine design or mere chance that just the right combination of materials came together to form everything we see even down to the very DNA in ourselves. One author wrote that he did not have enough faith to be an atheist, because without God, he could never begin to explain the complexity of the universe and its systems. In theism, this is what we call the teleological argument for God's existence that I spoke about before. 
If there is evidence of design in the universe, then there must be a designer. What are the chances of even one aspect of our world happening by chance? For instance, just one mere procreation of the first human male and, the, and, and human female to produce at least two offsprings, male and female, so that the species could advance is an extremely complex kind of thing. You would have to have two human male, a male and a female in the same exact location, having evolved exactly on the same pace at the same time in order to be compatible in their gene structure to be able to, to mate and be able then to at least produce two offspring, one a male, one a female, so that you could continue the species on into a next generation. Think about everything that would have to happen in order for that to come together merely by chance. Also consider what observation, like uh, the scientific principle demands. Do we ever see randomness producing design in through the scientific method? And we don't. We always see we always see that there is some kind of designer, that there is some kind of intent and purpose, even in the smallest of organisms. And so de design and chance is one of these contextual ways of looking at our faith. And then fourthly, who is Jesus? Anyone who claims to be someone to be followed or the object of our faith should come with some pretty convincing evidence that they are who they say they are. We must consider their claims or the claims of their followers against the evidence that should support those claims. In the case of Jesus, what are the options for his identity? We have to decide who, who Jesus is. It is a fundamental principle. If you're going to search for a faith, you have to decide who he is. It has been attributed to C.S. Lewis, the threefold option of who Jesus is. Here is what he really said in one of his radio broadcasts in 1940. C.S. Lewis said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing about that thing that people often say about him, talking about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who said he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Later, from this statement that Lewis made, we have come to talk about there being three options, and I believe there's at least four, of being a lord, a lunatic, or a liar, or perhaps a legend that he never really existed at all. But you must decide who Jesus is because your faith, no matter what your faith is, if you exclude Jesus, then you are concluding that he is either a lunatic, a liar, or he is a legend, and you have eliminated Lord from your equation. But you cannot say he was just a good moral teacher because he didn't claim to just be a moral teacher. He claimed to be the Son of God, the Messiah 
of the Old Testament. And so who is Jesus is a context in which you are going to discover something about your faith. And the last contextual matter I will give you has to do with the nature and the origin of any religious book that purports to be an, to be authoritative for our lives as the source of revelation from God himself, which has the correct teaching for eternal life. No doubt the Bible ranks at the top of the list of such books. Actually, it's a collection of 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years by about 40 different men. I find that most lay people who criticize the Bible have either never read it or have spent very little time studying it. The Bible, like any book claiming divine authority, must stand the test of its claims. The Bible, Bible claims to be the inspired word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. How would we test such a claim? If the, if the God who inspired it is perfect in all his ways, then we would expect the book to be perfect historically, scientifically, prophetically, and spiritually consistent with no internal contradictions. There have been many attacks on the Bible in each one of these areas from all kinds of people, and still it remains the bestseller of all, all times. I think that deserves a close inspection if you are serious about your faith. So I'm not saying that you have to believe in the Bible. I'm just saying, how can you have a serious quest for a faith that is quality, that is good, that will give you meaning and purpose in life, and not give some attention to the Bible itself to test his claims to see if it is in fact the Word of God. So as we close this three-part series of faith, I want to remind you of the ideas that we have covered. We've looked at the object of our faith, the basis of our faith, the quality of our faith, the awareness of our faith, the context of our faith. Some of the key ideas that we've explored is the fact that we all have a personal faith and, and worldview. You cannot, you cannot escape that. You believe something. Secondly, postmodern thought works against our coming to faith because it presupposes that objective truth does not exist. How can we ever come to any sure faith if there is nothing to be sure about? And postmodernism preempts that. If we are going to live, thirdly, if we're going to live honestly in our faith, then we must question it to see what it really consists of. Next, if what is the object of your faith? Have you ever pulled it up and said, this is what I believe, this is who I believe in, or this is what I believe? Next, faith that is solid must be based on reason, drawing only the conclusions warranted by the evidence. Another thing that we talked about was critical thinking skills are in decline in our society. And if you're going to find a faith that will stand the test of time, then you must approach it with critical thinking skills. And we also must give consideration to the idea that not all faiths are equal or of equal quality. Some are inferior to others, and we need to pull them up and look at, the, at them under the scrutiny of light so that we can determine the quality of, of the faith. Does your faith also produce for you a quality life? If your faith does not produce a quality of life, then I would maintain it's not a very good faith. Even though you have a faith or worldview, you may not be aware of what it is and how to articulate it. And I would encourage you to investigate that faith so that you can be aware of it and you can put it into words. And then finally, we all need a place to start in figuring out what we truly believe and what we are basing our lives on. And I would encourage you to consider the context of, of your faith, things that we discussed just a few moments ago. Here's the bottom line. 
<clears throat> one or two things are going to happen when you die. You're either going to cease to exist and go into oblivion, or you're going to enter into an unseen spiritual realm where your faith is going to decide your eternal future. You can risk that the first option is what will happen and take your chances, or you can determine whether the faith you have will serve you well in the unseen spiritual realm. You get to decide, and the ball is in your court. And thank you for joining us on this podcast, this three-part podcast about faith. I hope that I have stirred your thinking up. I hope that it has caused you to have to to kind of get off the dime and, and begin to explore things that maybe you just have been ignoring or didn't want to think about. And I just hope that it will cause you to look more carefully at what you do believe. And if in fact you that you need help in finding faith that will last, I hope you will seek out someone in your community that can help you to do that. Because the better the, the better your faith is and the more that faith is rooted in truth, then the better our world is going to be. So thank you for joining me and thank you to Gene folks for giving me this platform and um, God bless. Take care.